Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar. Weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Hope you had a happy holiday weekend. Sean Grotar, Santa Club with you on Mile High Sports. The NBA regular season has come to an end. The postseason is set. And, of course, it maybe streamlines things for the top-seeded Nuggets, especially when you're talking about the Timberwolves having to face the Lakers in a play-in game, and they'll have to suspend Rudy Gobert, who got in a fight on the uh, sideline Wasn't with the Wasn't that interesting yesterday? I mean, there was one rather serious conflict in which a punch was thrown involving Gobert and Kyle Anderson. Right. And then in the Clippers game, there was a bit of a scuffle between former Nuggets, Mason Plumley and Bones Highland. Now, that was less serious. Neither left the bench. Uh, it was more of a shove than a punch. Uh, it, it didn't escalate the way the other incident did. But the interesting thing was... The Clippers go on to win, and the Timberwolves go on to win, and the Timberwolves' win was particularly significant because it represents the difference between having to win maybe just one game by finishing eighth and beating the seventh seed and winning two games, which you'll have to do if you finish ninth. Right. No other choice. you... Beat the 10th place team, fine, but then you'd have to win again to get the 8th playoff spot. The winner of the 7-8 game gets 7. So it appears as if uh, the Nuggets will play either Minnesota or New Orleans in the first round. I would expect the Lakers to beat the Timberwolves Especially, without yeah. Rudy Gobert. Now, without Nas Reed out for the year. And without Jaden, Nas Reed. Jaden McDaniels, broken hand. I mean, everything just fell apart for them. Nas Reed is out for the year. No? Yep. Out for the year. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Out, they're, they're out no, for the year. No, he's out. And uh, George Carl, our friend, said last week, I, I think for sure on our podcast, and maybe with us, I'm confusing the two perhaps, but you can obviously go back and listen to both. If mm-hmm. you wish that's possible. Absolutely. He made the point, and I, I had asked him whether he agreed with my suggestion, that I thought Nas Reed with Gobert or Nas Reed with Towns was better than Towns and Gobert. And he agreed with that. I think Nas Reed might be the most valuable third-string center in the history of the NBA. <laughs> right? Because Gobert and Towns, although they weren't in conflict yesterday, do not get along at least professionally on the court it it seems yeah there's rather no rhythm. A, a bit, bit of a disaster and when gobert went out towns went off and led the timberwolves to that win yesterday over new orleans on a day when brandon ingram went off for 42 points i think it was and and was outstanding and i, I thought i watched a good part of the game and i thought that New Orleans played a pretty good game. Minnesota appreciably raised its game once Gobert left. So I'm not sure Minnesota will miss Gobert that much, but with or without Gobert, I would expect the Lakers to win at Crypto.com Arena on 
whatever night they play. Yeah, it will be Tuesday. The Lakers and Timberwolves will play Tuesday night. They'll be the late game, of course, Atlanta and Miami. Over and then East. the next night you get yep. New Orleans th- hosting Oklahoma City. Correct. And the winner of that game plays the loser of the 7-8 game right. for the eighth and final playoffs. For the eighth spot. So, yeah, you're talking about a, Thim- a Timberwolves team, a Pelicans team, or a Thunder team. Two face the Nuggets and the Timberwolves appear to be uh, in free fall. So uh, it kind of doesn't feel like it's going to well, be them. They appear to be in free fall. Um, they're actually ten and eight in their last eighteen games, and plus three in the road win home loss. Yeah, differential but that was before they category. were fist fighting on the side. Well, <laughs> yeah, but see, I think if it's Gobert who goes away, Kyle Anderson is more valuable than Gobert. In my opinion, he is making the money Gobert is making. And he certainly wasn't a man for whom Minnesota gave up right. half its draft picks over the next five or six years, mm-hmm. it seemed. Uh, for the privilege, uh, that's another Tim Connolly butte of a trade. Uh, he made a few here like that. Uh, I think they're better, actually, uh, without Gobert. And I'll tell you what, they have an X-Factor player. And, and, and he's a guy who's very young and tends to be a bit erratic. But I'll tell you what, if he starts getting to the line a little bit more in future years, Anthony Edwards is going to average 30 points per game at some point in his career and probably not in the not, probably in the not too distant future. And he's the X factor. I think, among these play-in teams, I think we have a pretty good sense of everybody else. Zion's obviously not going to play for New Orleans. No. But the one guy on on the four teams, I, well, maybe there are two. Shea Gilgis Alexander for Oklahoma City. Uh, people are starting to become more aware of him. Uh, he doesn't have a lot around him yet, or what he has around him is very young. Edwards, though, I think is just as talented. He's a six, four guard who's built like a linebacker and he's enormously talented. And he's a guy who could take over a game mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. win it by himself. Uh, and they only have to win one, you know, they, if they lose to the Lakers as they probably will, they get another, get another chance shot. with home court. Right. Beautiful to see, but it means the Nuggets get the week off, which is uh, exciting news because of course they will they, play on Sunday. From yeah, all indications. There you go. The winner of the uh, the nine and ten and the losers at the seven eighth they play on Friday. Both the Eastern and Western Conference matchups there will play on Friday, and then you'll have an idea of who the Nuggets will be playing. But the I, set matchups will go on Saturday. Mm-hmm. The ones that we know about right now, uh, the ones we don't know about, obviously that'll be yeah. And for the Nuggets, uh, of course, you know, something that will that will yet. will start on Sunday rather than than Saturday. They'll give the the winner or winners of the play-in tournament in each a conference day. a day. Seems reasonable. They won't make them play back to back. But yeah, for the uh, the Nuggets, it will be uh, they will be at home. It will be on uh, as you pointed out. It will be uh, going on that Sunday. The don't know when on Sunday. Sixteenth Sunday afternoon. Sunday yeah, yeah. The time is listed as TBD, but. Uh, we will see how that shakes out for the Nuggets. But I, I asked, I would ask you this, Andy. We saw the game yesterday yeah. against the Kings. Uh, the Kings were willing to go with their starters for a half. For a half. And looked slightly better. Not all that much better than the Nuggets bench players that well, they started. They, they, they blew them out in the first quarter. And then yeah. they started gradually to sub out the starters. And by halftime, 
it was clear they weren't going to play their starters any more than the Nuggets were uh, yesterday. But I, I thought it was helpful that the Nuggets won the game and won the game going in the fashion away. that they did. I think you've got Bruce Brown back on track. They only allowed 28 second-half points. Right. I mean, I don't care if that's well, another team's second I, unit or not. I, I'm telling you, and I've been saying this all year, I think their bench, if healthy, might be better defensively than their starting lineup overall. Might be better. We all know that their big stars aren't known for defense. Yeah, that's, I think, probably fair, to be completely honest. And, and it will be interesting to see how some of this shakes out. Because in the last three games, you had the, we'll, we'll work backwards. You had, of course, that Kings game in which they, Sacramento played the starters for about 18 to 20 minutes. And then right. the Nuggets bench was substantially better than the Kings bench. Much deeper, much better. The next step would be, okay, then... You go back to the game against Utah in which they didn't play all that well and the starters played. Correct. The game before that in Phoenix, none of the starters played and the bench was so good, they forced the Suns to have to run Kevin Durant out for 41 minutes. They took the Suns to the limit. So I guess looking at those three as a whole, do you feel a little bit better about the bench and Michael Malone's usage or does the flat performance against the Jazz make you feel that that's I'm, more of the, the team? That I'm are? more worried about the starters collectively. Now, I say collectively. Not each one of the five is playing poorly by any means, but just collectively. Right. And there was a point made uh, yesterday in uh, the Denver Post in the exchange that Mark Kisla has, usually in the first inside page with various fans uh, writing in or however they choose to communicate. And one advanced the theory, which I've heard before, that since Kendrick Perkins came out and accused him of stat padding, Nikola Jokic has gone into somewhat of a funk. And I noticed that especially in Utah the other day, not that he played badly, but he didn't shoot. He took five, five or 10 shot attempts in total. Didn't shoot. And um, that has, at times, and that was reminiscent of the Jokic of four or five yeah, years ago. Yeah, where, where teammates actually had to be pressing him to shoot. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I can see it. At the same time, I mean, the numbers sort of don't bear that out. You know, Jokic hasn't played a game in which the outcome mattered since a week ago when the Sixers came to town. And, of course, they didn't have Joel Embiid in that. So if you want to go further back, you can go to the Milwaukee game. But I mean, but if you look at the last three games in which the results really mattered, with the exception of, I guess, the Houston one in which everyone just kind of wasn't invested and in, and maybe that was what you call a good loss. But against Washington on the 22nd, 31 points, 12 boards, 7 assists. Against Milwaukee, 31, 6, and 11. Against the Sixers, 25, 17, and 12. When he's played 30-plus minutes. So... It's tough to say. Does it feel like it? A little bit, but his shot percentage hasn't gone down. In those last three games, he shot a combined 69%. But the issue was he didn't shoot as much. And he, he seemed sloppier, more turnovers. Again, we're not talking about a period of months here. But there does seem to have been a leveling off 
uh, in his game that I think is mildly concerning. I would expect him to play at his best once the playoffs begin. Mm -hmm. I think that will provide a a different kind of incentive for him. Um, I also think they have been, for the most part, and I give Malone credit on this count, for the most part, wise in cutting his playing time dramatically over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. And I think that will pay dividends in the playoffs. He is a fresh player. Uh, Murray has gotten more rest recently. I think he will be fresh. Michael Malone has made the point that with no games until Sunday, the Nuggets will be doing at least as much resting as they will be doing practicing during the course of this week. The emphasis will still be on keeping them sharp, yes, but they won't be practicing as they might practice in training camp, for yeah. example. Well, it, it won't be that rigorous, and I think he'll be smart about that. I'm a little nervous about how much he'll trust the bench, but the bench has proven to me, and maybe this is the most encouraging story that's developed around the Nuggets, as if it weren't playing before, that if used properly, this not is, overused or it's underused, a it's a pretty deep team, and that can be a telling advantage for the Nuggets in the playoffs if they can win one or two games in a playoff series due to their depth. I think they have the material, if properly deployed, to outlast other teams because their bench is better mm-hmm. than a lot of the teams, certainly, it, 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 including Phoenix, that they conceivably face in the first two rounds. They're just deeper. And I think what we saw last week was, not. I, I'm not sure the Suns, didn't want to play Durant a bunch because he's been out and he needs to play, especially with Booker and Paul. So the fact that their minutes were high, yes, the game was competitive, but I think that's what Phoenix wanted. They wanted those guys out there in a competitive game. And we made the point last week, Christian Brown in the third quarter of that game, I thought embarrassed Booker, uh, He made up for it in the fourth quarter, but he still had a very poor shooting game thanks to the defense put on him by Christian Brown. Bruce Brown is back in the kind of form he was demonstrating earlier in the season with additional minutes. He's looked really good. And I think, you know, you have to pick and choose with Najee and uh, Chanchar. Bryant, I thought, played okay yesterday when he was out there. Now, again, for the most part against Scrubs uh, from Sacramento. And Sacramento is uh, has got some depth. They've got two or three guys who are pretty good off the bench, including Lyles, the former Nugget. Mm-hmm. But I think the Nuggets can be deeper than just about every team they'll conceivably face in the first two rounds. As long as you mix and match correctly yeah. and trust them. Yes. And I, I think yes. there's no question that Malone trusts Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown averages 28.5 minutes a game. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is a starter. And when Michael Porter Jr. didn't, play earlier this year he was out right brown started and actually i thought their starting lineup they were fine defensively was better oh yeah and certainly was brown can certainly score Mm -hmm. and brown's versatility 
on both ends of the floor was on display too. Here's a guy who can guard four positions, and on offense he can play any one of four positions, even at six four. He, he's I mean, scrappy. For quite some time he's he was tough, operating as the backup strong, point guard, and he can play point. Yeah, and he's he not, can, done. He can play point and not embarrass himself. The the one concern I would have, and it's been a concern for the last several years for the Nuggets in the playoffs, they don't have a pure ball distributor who's starting on a regular basis. Now, I know without Jamal Murray last year, Monte Morris started a bunch of games. Monte Morris is that kind of player. I'm not sure that they have the kind of point guard who can, quote-unquote, quarterback a team I do give Murray credit for being more unselfish this year, averaging more assists per game. Six point two. But Murray yeah. really isn't a classic point guard. No, he's a scorer. But then he's again, you know, Jokic does a lot guard. of that. Jokic takes over a lot of that role. I mean, you're talking about the first center almost average, you know, triple double. But when Jokic is in the game, that's uh, it, that's fine. When he's not in the game, that's been their problem. Yeah. And the challenge is this year that they haven't had an orchestrator out there. When you want to try to stop the bleeding, when things are going a little haywire, it's better to have that veteran who can kind of get things on an even path. And the truth is, it's really been Bruce Brown, who is third, by the way, on the team in assists per game with 3.4. Yeah. He's behind Murray and, and Jokic. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. Reggie what did Jackson's you think kind of, of Reggie? Same... I was going to ask you, what, what do you think of Reggie Jackson in, in these recent games? And even Ish Smith, uh, a player uh, whom George has suggested in our conversations with him, could be for 12 to 15 minutes a valuable piece in the playoffs because he is a pure point. Yeah, and I mean, far be it for me to suggest that I know anything better than George Carl about basketball, but I think the game itself is rather different. And I think when you are not, we are reaching a point in basketball where if you can't shoot, you're a liability just as much as if you can't play defense. You have to be a scoring threat. And as much as I like Ish Smith's ability to, to be a pure point guard, I think it what, nine, nine assists and no points? Uh, yesterday, I believe. So you're talking about a good traditional sort of performance there from your point guard. But I think when you get into the playoffs, if you can't score, teams are going to be able to take advantage of that, not on you, but on the rest of your All team. Right. But We've would you about rather have someone who, who doesn't shoot, not necessarily because he can't shoot, he just thinks pass first. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I agree with you. You have to be a scoring threat. But to me... You have to use either Smith or Jackson. And when everybody's healthy, their inclination over the last few weeks has been to use neither. When yes. everybody's healthy. And I, I, and I think I'm using not Jackson sure is important. I love their bench as much when you don't have, yes, you have Brown who's unselfish. You have Christian Brown who's unselfish. Uh, but you, again, don't have that pure orchestrator. And if you're using Murray, I wouldn't characterize Murray that way. If you're using Murray with with three, four other guys coming off the bench, and you're not using Jokic at all with bench players. You're just not. That's the, He settled on that, and that seems to be the way he'll continue to operate from the bench. And I'm talking about Malone here. But... I, I, by and large, uh, I was more encouraged by what I saw, especially from the bench yesterday, as opposed to being discouraged 
by what I saw from the starters, which wasn't a whole hell of a lot on Saturday in Salt Lake. Want to know what you think? Of course, the uh, call and text line is 303-831-1340. And, of course, uh, milehighsports.com is the site. We'll be back with more nuggets in a bit with Ryan Blackburn. But in the meantime, we're going to take a look at the Colorado Avalanche for a very successful road trip next. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Colorado Avalanche have lost two games since March 11th. That's going to be a month because they don't play until tomorrow. So in that full month, they'll have lost two games. We were talking about this four-game road trip. Wanted to get some points in all of them, preferably. Well, they got eight out of eight. And that's everything that, that the Avs had hoped for. With three games left, you have a very difficult and very uh, attractive, from a fan standpoint, matchup versus the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow. Uh, National ESPN game, obviously. But with two games remaining now, after they get the job done, it was not pretty, but you got the points. They, they knock off the Anaheim Ducks in overtime. They have to, to be able to come back and get that done. But they now find themselves the 104 points. Uh, the, the, they don't have a game in hand right now. They'll have a game in hand at this time tomorrow because. But we're we're basically the the done wild. talking about games in hand. Yeah. Because each team has three. And you're not going to get much help remaining. tonight because the expectation is with the Stars playing the Red Wings, and the Wild playing the Blackhawks. I, I know they're both on the road, both but I would the road. I would Never expect know. both of those teams to win those games. Now, for the, in the Wild's case, they're four points behind the Avs, so that's different. It's really the Stars you're looking at, and for the Avs. It really isn't that. Uh, they can solve this themselves. They have three more games, win them all. They're the, the Central Division champions. But the game yesterday, Pavel Francouz returns. Good news there. But just what we were talking about on Friday, a chance that that would be a fit for him. Uh, Nathan McKinnon does his thing. Two goals and assists. First star, by the way, NHL's first star of the week. Nathan McKinnon turned out to be. Uh, he was amazing. Today, Miko Randon, two goals to assist. Ties Joe Sackett, he was 54 goals. On the season, that's tied for the Avs' single-season record. It, it, it took the Avs a little while to get going. It was almost like they sort of, they did appear to be maybe a little tired, a little ready to come home. But they did what teams that you want to consider championship contenders do. They tightened up. They found a way to pull it together. They steal a win in overtime. Well, they had to do more than tighten things up. They actually had to go the other way uh, once they were down 4-2. They couldn't afford to uh, uh, play defensively or yeah, in, in, in any kind I mean, of t- yeah, defensive t- tighten show. up their offense, be more. They're, fair, they're down yeah. two goals with eight minutes to go. Yep, I, they've done it didn't look good. nothing. I mean, nothing on the power play all night long. But whether it was inevitable or not, they found a way to finish regulation with two power play goals and score four on three in the overtime on the power play, and McKinnon and Rantanen were amazing. And you understand, of course, because of the way things have fallen this year, that the Avalanche have two guys. This isn't like last year. The Avalanche have two guys carrying them offensively. McCars missed almost a quarter of the season, and who knows when he'll be back. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, you've missed uh, Lekkonen, sure, who's only played in 62 games. Nishushkin, who's only played in 50. Now, when to assist last night, they, yeah. they've been effective. Nishushkin has been almost a point-a-game guy, 47 points in 50 games. Taves has had a solid offensive season. Uh, Rodriguez, Newhook, Girard even have chipped in offensively. But this is a team being carried offensively by two guys. More, I would suggest, in the last two months than Edmonton is carried by McDavid and Dreisaitl. Edmonton has other guys. The Avalanche don't have anyone who has scored more than 66 points this year. Nobody, save for those two, who both are at 100, which uh, happens in Edmonton pretty regularly now, but uh, and I guess maybe Boston. But uh, with Pasternak at least having a 60-goal season, that's amazing. But for the Avalanche to have McKinnon at 107 points in just 68 games and Rantanen now at 102 points, and he's played all the games, for all the injuries, the guy the Avalanche couldn't afford to get hurt this year, given all the other injuries, was Rantanen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Rantanen has saved their bacon. McKinnon and Rantanen saved them last night. Uh, Francois looked at best rusty, at worst just out of sorts, yeah, he, not ready to play. And it gave rise to um, some speculation that maybe uh, Bednar jumped the gun and they would have been better off with Johansson last night uh, than with a rusty Francois. But if you're going to use Francois, you've got to use him at some point. Right. And last night figured to be an easy game when it was two to nothing. The Avalanche were out shooting Anaheim, but uh, Anaheim got a couple of uh, uh, softies and then uh, a go-ahead goal that was just a bad goal by Francois. And when they fell down four to two, uh, as actually Sam Girard, who was trying to come to a stop in front of the net, and the puck bounces off his skate and through Francois and. You think they're dead down 4-2. Yeah. But they got the power play goals. They had the big guys. Yeah, I did too. Uh, And we watched as they were able to come back and on the power play get the tie. And I don't believe in overtime Anaheim had the puck for more than maybe 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah. And then the Avalanche went on the power play, which made them uh, uh, even more powerful and with less than a minute to play, I just thought it was inevitable they were going to score on that power play and spare themselves uh, having to go through a shootout, which uh, uh, could have been tricky. Because, again, I don't think Francois is really he his looked, game last I, I, Yeah, I, I don't know if I question the health necessarily. I'm not in a position to do that. But he definitely looked rusty. He oh, looked he's rusty. Like a, yeah, yeah, he looked yeah, like a guy yeah. that did I, not. I'm not saying they rushed, they rushed him back because he wasn't physically well. I, I'm saying that but he was clearly, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe he needed a little bit more of a run up uh, to his first game than he got. The thing is, you can't afford to play but him in any of the last three games because they need to win all three. Yeah, this was the one chance. This was really the one you needed to go ahead and put him into. And so they did, and they find a way to get by it, and they work past it. And but that's the important part. Now you have a uh, a huge head to head with the Edmonton but, uh, Oilers. It, you know, it 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 will be a fantastic game tomorrow night. And the the good news 
you're talking about two teams that in calendar year 2023, the Avs have been 30, 11, and 3, mm-hmm. 63 points in the last three months. Edmonton has been 28, 7, and 7. Other than the Bruins, they're far and away the two hottest teams in the league. Yeah. Right? And Look they'll at the- be going at it tomorrow, and I give the Avalanche an edge because they've got Georgiev. And, and Edmonton does not. And Georgiev should be fresh and should be primed. And Alexander Georgiev has been one of the top five, not top ten, top five goaltenders in the NHL all year long. Only Olmark of Boston has more wins, and only Sorokin of the Islanders has more shutouts. Now, I'm not expecting a shutout tomorrow no, night. No. <laughs> but I, I do think they'll find a way to win. Edmonton has basically clinched second place. The Avs have more to play for. They're at home, and they have the better goaltender. Edmonton is only two down on Vegas, but Vegas, of course, only two games to play there. Each of those teams in the Pacific have played one more than the top contenders in the Central. For the Avs, though, what's remarkable is if they were to win that, Sandy, it wasn't that long people were worried about the Avs make the playoffs at all. It wasn't all that long ago. If they win tomorrow, They'll be the number two seed in the postseason as it stands because they are, of course, leading the Central, but they'll be number two in points. If they win tomorrow, they will leapfrog Edmonton. And I should say if they win in regulation, they'd leapfrog them. But but they leapfrog Edmonton and be behind only the Vegas Golden Knights for points in the entire Western Conference. The, the run that the Avs have been on, and make no mistake, they have dealt with injuries while they're doing it. It, it wasn't necessarily that everyone's been healthy and now they've gone on a run. They've dealt with a ton of injuries while they've been playing this way. But now they find a way to, to play the way they have. They've gotten past everything. And you're right. This is really a, has been a referendum on how great the pair of Miko Rantanen and Nathan McKinnon have been. Because they have more or less been the constants over the last third of the season. That's the offense. And, and, and I'm not knocking anybody else. And, and certainly Nashushkin has been excellent. But you can put just about anybody on that line and that player will be effective and it doesn't seem to matter to McKinnon or Rantanen who's playing left wing. Not terribly. And on the power play, I was talking about this, moving people around, Mm -hmm. they've had McKinnon as, in some ways, a second point man with Taves on the first power play unit. But then they shifted late in the game to Ranton being out there on the point and Ranton making uh, the play that uh, McKinnon scored on. Uh, it, it it just, I, I thought it showed imagination. Now, you know, of course, they were in the overtime playing four on three, but five on four and I guess five on three for six seconds. They had sure. a much longer five on three chance earlier in the game, did nothing with it. But it's just I I thought after the game that the Anaheim folks are saying you know with with that kind of high end talent on the power play it's just a matter of time, and Anaheim took two stupid penalties that bad teams take when they're up two goals with eight minutes to go. You, the one thing you cannot do, the one thing you cannot do is take dumb penalties outside of your own end. I mean, within twenty thirty feet of your net, if you need to take a penalty to prevent a Sure, goal, okay, and see that. But where they took the penalties, hideously stupid. And But 
still you have to capitalize on that. Right. And they, yeah, the Avalanche had done, done nothing all night on the power play, and they were able to come on uh, and uh, make it 28 road wins, which is uh, a franchise record, including all the years in Quebec City. And believe it or not, they only won in their first year out here when they won the Cup 23 on the road. They were not a great road team hmm. in the regular season. They were in the playoffs, not in the regular season. And in 2001, when they won their second cup, they only won 24 on the road. And last year, they only won 24 on the road. I say only. 24 wins on the road out of 41 games, pretty good. 28 road wins this year. The record had been 26 in the 13-14 season, which was their uh, miracle year where they had 112 points somehow. Patrick was first year on the bench. Joe Sackick's first year in the front office. Uh, seven straight road wins for Georgiev. Ties Patrick Waugh. Obviously. For a record. Yeah. On very consecutive road stuff, wins. Given the fact that his team has an injury. And they've won 11 off. straight in the state of California. Yeah. How about that? And that will extend into next year. The You brought up the power play idea. And, of course, this is. Now, in the last 10 seasons of the NHL, going all the way back to 2013-2014 campaign, in nine of those 10 years, the usage of the four offensive players, one defenseman idea on the power play has continued to propagate. 42% of the time in 2013-2014 teams did that. It's now up to 86. The idea that you have two defensemen on the back end. For the vast majority of the league, that rarely happens anymore. The Avs have enough talent that they could do it when they want. You know what the Avalanche do when everybody's healthy? At least on their second power play unit? They put three defensemen mm-hmm. out there. Not one, not even two. They put three defensemen out there. And part of the reason that that, that more than just about anything, illustrates the Avs' depth. Because they can do the sort of thing there that other teams Cannot. I think it's uh, on the second power play unit. Again, mm-hmm. when everybody's healthy, it's Gerard, Taves, and Byram. Byram is ill, not COVID. Yeah. Uh, would expect him back tomorrow night, wouldn't well, you? See, he was skating today uh, out at the uh, at, at Family Sports, so one would, one would think, but it depends how he's feeling, I suppose. But it's an illness. I, I'm not counting on McCarr, though. McCarr, that one seems to be tricky. But, uh, I mean, you know, Lekkonen, Landeskog, uh Byram out there all skating today, uh, having the red contact jerseys and, and doing a little bit there. So maybe there's some uh, reason to get excited about the possibility, but we'll find out a little bit more. We'll check in uh, with the Avalanche from one of the guys that's been alongside with them, Kyle Fredrickson of the Denver Gazette, will join us to talk more about the Avs and their recent road trip next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Happy to be joined by our next guest over at the Denver Gazette, denvergazette.com, covering the Avalanche, Kyle Fredrickson. Kyle, I appreciate you joining us for a little bit. Obviously, a big road trip for the Avs that saw them take control of the Central Division. They'd had multiple cracks at doing so. Now they finally have it, but they took advantage of a reasonably soft schedule 
these remaining three games, they're arguably the hardest of the bunch, aren't they? Yeah, it certainly sets up to, to be an exciting finish, especially on Tuesday night uh, with the Oilers being in town. I mean, McDavid and, and McKinnon show, it, it really doesn't get much better. And, yeah, you know, finishing with a, a back-to-back against a good Jets team and then going to the Predators, uh, making up for that uh, game where the arena was, was flooded back around Thanksgiving. So, yeah, a lot of drama, but, you know, the abs right where they want to be, you know, in the driver's seat and, and controlling your own destiny. You, you can't ask for much better than that. Has the attitude, you've been around the team a lot over the last few weeks, obviously, has the attitude changed vis-a-vis finishing first as opposed to even second? Uh, Whereas maybe a month ago, they they were more or less, at least Bednar gave voice publicly to the idea that, you know, as long as we get in, health is most important. Has winning the division, now that they have the lead become more important to them as the weeks have gone on, in your opinion? Absolutely. And and to your point, I think it's just the fact that now that it's more attainable, as opposed to thinking, okay, here's an avalanche team that's going to have to claw its way in, which we all sort of thought in the middle of January. Sure. Oh, of course. Seven. Of course. Right. Um, but, but now that they're here and it's within striking distance, I think there's some extra motivation, maybe even more so than last year. You know, given that that was a front-running Avalanche team that had a few injuries but stayed mostly healthy when they needed to be on that run to the Cup, as to where this looks like a group that seems like they're going to need every advantage they can get. I mean, Nathan McKinnon uh, in San Jose, after getting uh, up to 100 points, told me that he's legitimately surprised that the Avs are in their, the position they're in. <laughs> Not because he doesn't think that they're, you know, capable of going and winning another Cup, it's really just, you know, based on how well they've played over the past couple of months and also just kind of how mediocre the rest of the West is. You know, if, if the Abs were playing in the East and, and having to go up against that gauntlet, you know, with, with the points they have, they would be clawing to get in. But just so happens that the rest of the league and, and, and their division out West, it, it just isn't that strong. So, you know, getting home ice, you know, having that extra bit of, of, you know, energy in the building. I think it makes a difference for this team. Uh, Granted, there's certainly the confidence with that championship character that they can go into any building and and, and win a series. Now, coming into this game with with Edmonton, obviously it's exciting. Everyone understands that, and it's going to be a tremendous showcase for the game. But the Avs are worried about health. Uh, They need to win these games, but they have multiple guys that are missing. You know, as far as we can tell, uh, what's the latest? We know Byram's was Ill- illness, but everyone else, uh, what's the, the latest on the Avs? Are we talking first round, second round, couple, maybe in these next three games for a couple of those players? Yeah, it's, it's just a, it's been a laundry list all season. But in terms <laughs> of guys that, that I'm most optimistic about returning, you know, before the, the playoffs start here, uh, you know, we saw Pavel Francouz in, in, in net last right. night, and that was encouraging, even though it was a, a bit of an uneven performance. But, you know, seeing Arturi Lekkinen, who's got a broken finger, you know, continue to do a lot of stick work in his individual drills. Uh, that shows me he's getting a lot closer. You know, I think Bednar's bullish on his return before the end here. With Kill McCarr, you know, that one to me is a bit of a head-scratcher. It seems like, you know, within the span of a couple of days, it went from him being, you know, indefinite. When I asked Jared Bednar what the timeline was going to be, he just didn't know at that point. He said it was a new lower body injury. But then the next day at practice, he said it was more of a day-to-day situation that the team was monitoring. So, to me, it's a little concerning that that's a new issue, given that Kale's had so many health problems throughout this year. But that day-to-day designation makes me think that, all right, if the playoffs are starting now, 
maybe McCarr toughs this thing out and, right. and, and is in the lineup. So uh, Darren Helm, you know, and Josh Manson, those guys are question marks. They travel with the team, but it doesn't seem like they're progressing too fast. To me, that feels like more of a get back in the first round situation. And then the albatross in the room, you know, which is Gabe Landeskog. And, you know, Bednar finally kind of gave a, a more real answer the other day and saying, yeah, I mean, the, the realistic expectation uh, is that Gabe is not going to be ready for the regular season by the time that it ends. He hasn't gotten the indication. He has to progress to being with the group, you know, to shedding that red no-contact jersey in practice, and he hasn't done it. And, and that's really, I think, the, the biggest bummer of this whole season. If the abs don't repeat, everyone's going to look back at that and say, well, he didn't have Gabe all year. And, and that's disappointing when back in August there was sort of this expectation he'd be ready by game one. But, you know, add a setback in there, one more extra procedure that he didn't expect, and for whatever reason, you know, we, we just don't really know when he's going to be back. My hope is that if he doesn't play by the time the playoffs start, that the Avalanche should be smart enough to let him talk to the media and answer some questions and, and address what's happened, given sort of some of the, the confusion, essentially, about how long this was going to last. Uh, because there are a lot of unknowns out there, and, you know, until that happens, uh, who knows. But, you know, it's, it's kind of been the zombie abs at times this year. Uh, it's been worse than it is currently. They, they kind of are on enough swing now of getting a few guys back, uh, but they're going to need that momentum to continue because, you know, right now uh, it's going to be winning some long seven-game series, especially if you don't have Landis Cog in the lineup. Uh, we've talked about, and you just outlined the reason, I think, that uh, the biggest disappointment of this season is Landis Cog not being able to play at all. Has the biggest surprise been Georgiev between the pipes? He was referred to by Hunt postgame after the L.A. win the other night as being the backbone of the team in 22-23. For the fact that they've gone 29-7-3 over their last 39 games, apart from McKinnon and Rantanen, of course, who've been magnificent, isn't Hunt right? that Georgiev has been kind of the backbone, especially on defense, where they are currently missing three of their best defensemen in Makar, Byram, and Manson. Yeah, it really is sort of this sneaky, most important storyline of the year. Really a, a continuation of, of Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland identifying guys in free agency and via trades. They've just been perfect fits. I mean, it seems like they've been batting a thousand, um, you know, over their, their their past few additions they've made. But Gorgiev, it was just really the the perfect timing. He was young. He's hungry. Uh, you know, he's 26. I love how confident he is. If you guys ever chat with him in the dressing room, um, you know, this is a guy who's waited for this opportunity for a long time in New York. Legitimately felt like he should have been the the starter over Shesterkin, and you know, people can question that now. But look at the stats, you know, look at the save percentage and the goals against average. You know, Gorgiev in, in a lot of those ca- categories is better than Vasilevsky right now. So, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of a, a similar girl, uh, goalie to, to Vasilevsky and maybe closer to Grubauer uh, for, for folks with more recent memories and, and avalanche history here. Just being a more undersized guy who's just so quick and, and has great instincts and, you know, for this entire season, we haven't looked back on any loss and been like, oh, chalk that up to a bad start by Gorgie. You know, he, he just didn't have it tonight. He didn't bring it. You know, that that wasn't the case. I think there was even times in the playoffs when, when people thought, hey, is, is Darcy Kemper the guy? Is he the elite goalie that the Avs need? And it almost felt like they won the cup, in, you know, in spite of him. And then that's not fair to Kemper. He was really solid in the regular season at times. 
but he wasn't that difference maker in the playoffs that ultimately, you know, in my opinion, lifted them to the cup. I, I couldn't I agree swear. with you more on that. I, I think sure, you're exactly sure. right about that. And, and with Gorgiev, I mean, you look at just these past couple of games, he, he's been phenomenal. You know, that, that close win uh, that they pulled out in, in L.A. where That was really the big best. one. I, I know last yeah. night they had to right. come back. But wasn't that the big one? Because that was by far the best team they were playing on this trip. Yeah, and you know, it's it's. I always love it when Jared Bednar sort of has this like nervous laugh after games, like yeah, we got away with that one, boys, and and, and that's essentially what he said. Yeah, and, and pointing to, to Gorgiev because when you have a, go- a goaltender who can weather those storms and make big saves, you know, even if he's given up three, four goals, you know, you trust this Avalanche team for, to produce when it matters. You know, and and lately, uh, you know, McKinnon and Rantanen being hundred points on the year. They've stepped up in those big moments. So, you know, it's really masked a lot of the avalanche injuries issues all year, just the way that Gorgiev's been so steady. He is Kyle Fredrickson. Make sure you check out everything he puts together over at the Denver Gazette. That's denvergazette.com. Terrific work. And uh, we're looking forward to to talking with you more. Kyle, appreciate uh, all the, the input here as the Avs come into a very, very fascinating streak in their title defense run. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kyle. Yep, thank you, guys. Yep, thank you. All right, Kyle Fredrickson there with the a lot to discuss there when you're talking about these abs last few games, but but you had it on the head, I think, in the end. Okay, they got fat off the weak part of their closing schedule. They did. They did what they're supposed to do. Now these last three, with Dallas in pursuit, Dallas and Minnesota will both play tonight. Uh, this game against the Oilers really is going to feel like a playoff caliber game. And you know what? I may be proven totally wrong. They may lose 6-1 to one tomorrow night. I think it's good for I do. Now, I mean, this is what you're going to face. It, it doesn't make it as through. easy to hold on to first place, but I think it's good for them because they need this sort of challenge. There's no question that the West is weaker than the East, with the exception of Edmonton. And Edmonton could play in any division in either conference, and I, they got off to such a slow start. This year, they were six and three in October, which is fine, but seven and seven in November, seven, six and two in December. But as I say, in calendar year 2023, 28, seven and seven, these are the two best teams in the West to me, hands down, hands down. Minnesota's cooled off. Uh, Dallas is dangerous, I think, largely because of its goaltender um, and its top end talent. Three or four top players are about as good as any three or four guys in the league on the top end of your club. But th- this is a game that, in my opinion, may be a playoff preview. Yeah, at some point it feels like They it. could play again, and if they do, it won't be a four-game sweep. No, not this time around. It'll be interesting. Of course, they'll be back at it tomorrow. The Avs in control of the Central. They cannot lose that lead tonight, even if Dallas were to win. So we'll make sure we pay attention to that with the huge game looming then. But the Denver Nuggets have done the seemingly impossible, except they've had control of it all year long. They have finished with the West best record. What does that mean? What to look for in the playing tournament? What to try to take out of this last week or so of meaningless games? We'll break it down with my life sports, Ryan Blackburn, next.